Um, well, YouTube um, made my point this last week. <laughs> and <laughs> it was interesting. It was in the context of the, of the point I made about the danger of um, being arbitrary uh, determiners of truth that, um, that sometimes the, the, these uh, platforms do. They, they, they determine what is true and what is not true and then make sure that someone that disagrees with them gets kicked off. So, but we have plenty of platforms you can listen to us on that didn't. And uh, actually, YouTube is still back on. They just got rid of one, but they warned us about the future. And uh, that will not affect at all what I teach. That will never. And uh, so you can be assured that if it needs to be said, I will say it. And um, if, you know, as I feel the Lord is directing and as God's word clearly teaches as well. So that's where we are. Today, I, I want to talk about actually the reason for hope. And, uh, and we're going to take a, a, a journey down a, a familiar portion of scripture. But let me give you a little background first. We're talking about uh, King David. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a part of his story. And, um, and you know, King David was, he was, uh, he was the runt of the litter. I mean, he, his, his brothers uh, were the ones that were, his dad looked to, and, and David was out in the field. And if you remember the story, Samuel came to, because God wanted to anoint the next king. And uh, came to Jesse's house, came to David's family's house. David was in the field handling the sheep because that was his job. And, uh, and as Samuel went through all of the brothers, none of them ended up, you know, being the one. And, and dad didn't even think about David. <laughs> David wasn't even on the radar when it comes to being possibly the one that God would choose. David was the kid out in the field with the sheep. But David had developed a special relationship with the Lord in the field. It was David who, who wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He learned things in those quiet times and he developed where others might have spent most of their quiet times doing other things. David spent a lot of his time seeking after God. And his pursuit of God was known by the Lord. And when the Lord decided he was going to pick the next person, he looked at the heart of David, as David himself says, that man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And God looked at the heart of David and said, he's the one that is going to be the next king. And so he was anointed and brought in, and it was kind of a big deal in the family because Samuel, the prophet, is there. He, he, Samuel was the prophet, you know. When Samuel came around, he was highly venerated because people knew that he heard from God. And Samuel then, of course, anointed David, and David had this promise. Now, you know, as the story goes on, David still went back to the field and eventually brings food to his brothers who are on the battlefield, and it sees every, all the the Jews cowering before Goliath, this 
uh, you know, massive man, uh, soldier, on the other Philistine side, and he um, he says, you know, I'll take him on. I've taken on a lion and a bear in the field, protecting the sheep. I'll take on this uncircumcised, you know, Philistine, and I'll take care of him. And he does with a with a stone, you know, with a sling, and uh, and then. David gets a name for himself, and a song comes up. In fact, they start singing this song that really was, a, you know, in fact, it was, it's been actually repeated three times in the scripture, and every time it's repeated, it causes trouble for David. As they would say, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. And Saul heard it, King Saul, and he wants to kill David, get rid of David. He doesn't like that David is kind of being the one who is uh, honored, and uh, he wants to get rid of him, and so he goes after David. That's a quick, you know, overview of the story. David is running kind of for his life, but God is protecting him and gives him, oftentimes shows him how God guides his path and even even Saul comes into the cave where David is and doesn't even know. And David has the opportunity more than once to be able to kill Saul if he wanted to. But he submits to the leadership that God gives and trusts God in all of that. But it gets old. And it, there's a 13-year training period, if we would call it. If we could see it from maybe God's perspective, God is training his young man to become the king that he wants. And the process of training is a long one. And David is running for his life most of that time. And it gets old, and he starts to get weary, and he starts to get discouraged. And so in... in Chapter 27, we're, we're not going to be there. We're going to be in chapter 30. But in chapter 27, he makes a decision that affects his life and would affect the next year, nearly year and a half, year and four months we know of, of his life and his family's life and the men who are following with him. At this point, David has about 600 men who, are, who will fight with him protect him they're with him they you know they they see him as as the king that he is going to be and they're there with him and, and it's a whole mixed group of people and their family so you got 600 men and their wives and I say wives which is odd um, but in those days that was the culture and uh, and there was oftentimes more than one wife David had two at the time and uh, and and their children all part of that. And so in verse 1 of chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, it says this, and David said in his heart, now, now there's no indication that David told anybody. That, that, that This isn't something David said out loud. He said it in his heart. You have to watch what you say in your heart. Because what you say in your heart will oftentimes there's the, the, determine the direction of your life. It's the way you think. You know, I have to think about the way I think. I have to process, you know, as I'm thinking, am I thinking right? Because if you're not thinking right and you keep processing that, that will take you down a terrible road. 
And so David starts this way. It says, David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. And there is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines and Saul will despair of me. In other words, Saul's going to be searching for me. He's, not going to, he's going to get discouraged to search for me because I'm going to be with the Philistines to seek me anymore in any part of Israel so I shall escape out of his hand. Now, he says he's going to die at the hand of Saul, and yet God had already said, David, you're going to be king. So who do you believe? And David, in his discouragement, makes a decision that costs him in his life. It costs him down the road. Now, this is a man after God's heart. This is still David. This is still a good man that you would say, well, David wouldn't do something like that. Oh, yeah. I, what I love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't hide the faults of its heroes. It, it shows them warts and all. You get it all. You see them for what they really are. It's not a fantasy. It's not a dream. It, it, these are real people who had real issues, and yet at, in, the, in, in, in the point of David, in his life, he was a man after God's own heart. That's the way God saw it. And so David makes the decision. But what about the word of the Lord? God had said something, and David forgot who he was and what God promised him. So because he forgot or he put aside or he decided not to believe what God had said, he decided he was going to rescue himself. Now, all this time, David has been, he's been hiding from Saul, but God has been protecting him. God has been taking care of him. I mean, certainly it's uncomfortable he was living in an uncomfortable, you know, uh, life in that way that he had to move at different times. But now he's taking matters into his own hands instead of trusting God. And so David goes to the Philistines. And he's there for a year and four months. And we, we would say, is David in the will of the Lord? I do not think that's the case. I think David is on, kind of done his own thing, and now he's making his own decisions, and, uh, and he's actually so far in to this because he goes um, to, he takes, his, he takes and, and heads off to, um, to, um, to the leader Actually, the, 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 the king of the land of Gad, where um, his enemy was in the first place. He goes to the land of Goliath, and he, he is accepted by the king. Now listen, I'll pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 30. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day of the Amalekites, uh, that the Amalekites had invaded the south of Ziglag, attacked Ziglag, and burned it to, with fire. Now, <clears throat> David had gone to the Philistines. He had stayed there. He had gotten to the place, in fact, the Philistines decided they were going to attack the, the Israelites. They were going to attack his own people. 
and David had gathered his army to side with the Philistines. He's actually thinking, now there's argument, there's two arguments, two, two sides of how people process this. Some say, well, David wasn't really going to fight against the Israelites. Probably he was going to turn on the Philistines. But there's no indication that that's the case. But some say David wouldn't do that. But either way, you got a problem. There's a problem this. Either David is siding with the Philistines and is really going to fight his own people, or he's deceiving the man that has befriended him and taken care of him for the last year, year and a half. Either way, it doesn't look good for David. And, and the, the prince of the Philistines says, isn't this, who is it? What, where are these, what are these Jews doing over here? Because they gathered the armies together of the Philistines to attack. And he goes, where, what are these Jews doing here? And... Uh, and the king of Gad says, wait, wait, um, um, no, it's not, David's a friend of ours. He's my buddy. You know, he, he ta- we, we can count on David. You know, and he says, no way. Isn't this the guy who they said Saul kills his thousands and David his ten thousands? He's not going to war with us. And they sent them back to where all the family, their families were. So he sends him and his army, the 600 soldiers. And that's where we're really picking up this first verse is they're coming back. And it says it was a three-day journey. Now, we don't know if it was three days up first and then three days back, which would have been six days. But they've been gone a while. And they come back to the land where all their family is. Um, and, and it says that as they come back, what had happened while they were gone is that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked, uh, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. So um, it, the, where their families are, the whole city, where their town was, where they had built their houses and so forth, all burnt down and their wives and their children and everything they own is gone. So they come back to this and it says, and, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Now, so David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever been so brokenhearted that you cried until there were no more tears? This is what these men, these soldiers, these fighters, these fierce warriors, but they've been broken so bad because their family had been taken. And as they're crying, the scripture says here that they cannot, they had no more power. To, they're, they're drained by weeping. They're drained because of what has happened to them and their hearts are broken. And it says, and David, verse five says, and David's two wives, Hinoam and Jezreelite, the Jezreelite and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, 
the uh, Camelite had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. So now what you have is David, David's been the leader, so he's also the one who's responsible. At least they, they need a scapegoat. David's got, the, it, this is David's fault. Because if David wouldn't have taken us to, you know, over to the Philistine camp, this was, would not have happened to our family. And David's decision did, in fact, affect this. This is the, the reason this is happening, because David had made the decision that he made. He is, in some ways, responsible for this. And, and, he, and they're now ready to kill him. Let's, they're, they're speaking of stoning him. Uh, because this, it says, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. <clears throat> and there's no one to, to help them. And there's no one to help David. And what is David going to do? I mean, at this point, at the, at the place of his discouragement, men, lesser men than David would have just let them kill him. Let's just end it. Life is over. There's no reason to go on. What has happened? The discouragement. But David has something in him that keeps him going. And uh, it's, it, it's, in, it's related to his relationship with God. And, uh, <clears throat> and at this point, no one, there's no, there is no one to encourage him. There's no one to, to help him along. There's no one to put their arm o- around him and say, you know, I'm with you, buddy. I'm help- here to help you. I'm praying for you. There's nobody. Everybody that he has loved is either gone or wants to kill him. And that's all he's got left. I mean, that's a pretty bad place to be. Have you ever been in a place in your life where no one can comfort you? N- not that there's no, n- maybe not, people who are willing to, but no one else can. There's nothing they can say, there's nothing they can do that can comfort what you're going through in your life. You can relate to David in this if you've had that happen in your life. And David only has one place. He does know when others might not have anyone to go through to, David has someone to go to. And that's true for you. If you're a follower of God, if you're a follower of Christ, you always have someone. Someone who understands, someone who feels your pain with you, someone who is, loves you more than anyone else, even yourself, that's there for you. And so here is David and he does the only thing he can do at this point. And the Bible says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord God. Other translations say David encouraged himself in the Lord. In fact, half the translations, uh, new, the English translations, half of them say encourage, the other half say strengthen because the Hebrew word is both. It's both strengthen and encourage. And, and, and the encouragement the, the big part of this is not that he encouraged himself. It says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Everybody say in the Lord. In the Lord. In the Lord. It's because it was in the Lord that this happened. And, 
And it's at this point, David does something that strengthens him. And the scripture actually doesn't tell us what he did, but others do. See, David wrote about his times with God, the times of discouragement, when he's brokenhearted. That's why one of the best ways when you're going through a time of discouragement is go to the Psalms. You can find there oftentimes the words of David and others who have gone through the same kind of thing that you are going through at the time. You can find in the Psalms so often the, the thing that you're facing, the challenges, the pain, the, the emotions, the difficulties, the heartbreaks, all of those things that you find yourself going through, you can find them there. It's a wonderful portion of Scripture that in the Psalms you feel the heart of people in all of their brokenness coming to God and finding the solace and the peace and the comfort. One of the things that you see oftentimes in the Psalms is that David is in this time of discouragement. He finds strength in in his exaltation of God. In his worship, in his praise, in his, in, in his thanksgiving unto the Lord. I was thinking of Psalms 100 and verse 4 where it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures to all generations. I can see David at that point making and giving the sacrifice, as he calls it, the sacrifice of praise, as the as a, as a New Testament refers to as a sacrifice of praise of our lips. It's, a, it's, you know, praise and thanksgiving. It's the, praise and thanksgiving is oftentimes referred to as a sacrifice. Worship is never referred to as a sacrifice. Worship is, a, worship is actually not a, a sacrifice of something you give to God, it's a sacrifice of yourself to God. But praise and thanksgiving is a sacrifice, and we do it sometimes, and the way it becomes a sacrifice is when we give praise and thanksgiving when we don't feel like it. You know, in this very moment of David's life, he did not feel like giving praise and thanksgiving. You wouldn't, that wasn't something that was like stirred in him at that moment. He was discouraged. When you're discouraged, what do you want to do? You want to mope and you want to sit in your your pain and you want to just kind of, well, this is where I am and you want to just be sorry for yourself. But David knew that he couldn't, listen, you can't live there. There, His life is not over and it would, and he has, his family needs a David who is not, you know, spending the rest of his life moping. His family needs him now. And so David looks and turns to the Lord. And what he does is he lifts up his heart and his thoughts to God. Because all this time, he had made decisions based upon his fear. His fear of Saul. He, the choice he made to actually leave the people of God and go on his own way and to get himself into this place was because he was fearful. He was fearful. I, I have seen... Over the last, I would say, three years now, you know, since COVID. And, and so I, I have seen more people making more decisions out of fear than ever in, in, in my lifetime. So many people making direct decisions out of fear. And 
and not really knowing what's going on fully, I mean, sometimes anticipating. I, I remember, and I don't want to, well, very few would know who I'm talking about, but I'm not trying to, it's not about the person. It's about the story. We had, uh, we had a couple that were in our church as uh, the turn of the century, right? Remember Y2K? And the world was coming to an end. Now, I do believe we're getting closer to the coming of the Lord. You know my thoughts on that, and I've talked about it. But at Y2K, there was a real surge of people thinking, they're, they're, they were sure all the computers are going to go down in the whole world. The entire economy is going to be destroyed. And, and uh, the world economy is going to be destroyed because the computers weren't capable of making the shift to the year 2000 and there are all kinds of things and and it was going to just it's going to cause chaos and there's going to be food shortages and everybody's going to be fighting with one another you know and we we had a ministry that was feeding well over 300 people a day and so people would come from different places that really had needs. And there was a warehouse, and this couple really ran this ministry. It was a phenomenal ministry. And they, they, they did clothes trades, and there was really kind of a kind of thing that people could come. And people were getting saved as a result, too. It was a, a ministry. They're sharing the, the love of the Lord. And it got into this man's head that... Um, you know, when Y2K hits and people are starving, where are they going to come? Well, they're going to come to our warehouse with their guns and they're going to, you know, who's the first ones they're going to kill to get the food? And him and his wife decided, we're getting out of here. And they shut down the warehouse, they sold everything, and they moved to, they, they moved out in the boonies. Another state, out in the boonies. Because Y2K was coming. That was a, that was a decision out of fear. That has, well, 23 years later, what could have been done in the ministry during that time frame if a decision wasn't made out of fear. We have to make our decisions out of the promises of God. We can't live our lives making decisions out of the potential fears of what can come down the road. And I, I feel like as we're looking, I don't want my eyes to be closed to the reality around us, and that's why I taught what I taught last week and the week before that and before that, those, our end times teaching. I, I fully believe all that. But I know as I am looking at things coming down the road and as I see things deteriorating in the way that they are, but I also know I have a God who makes promises and can do anything. And I serve him and not my fear. I serve him over my p potential anxieties or my, or, or my imagination that can take me down a road that isn't where God wants me to be. David allowed his imagination to take him down a road that caused him to make a decision that wasn't 
it, it was costly, not just to him, but it was costly to his family. It was costly to the families of the soldiers that had aligned themselves with him. This was a very costly issue for David. And now David has to, he has to find strength. And he's not been, he's not been where he should be. And so now God has a way. God has a way. God has a way of allowing things to happen in our life to get us to the place where we only have, we have nothing but God. And if we decide to go down the road, you're, and you are Christ, God, God knows who are his, the Bible says. You're the Lord's. Then when you go down that road that separates you from God, God will do whatever it takes to bring you back. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Every, you know, if, if you're loved by God, he's not going to let you live in sin. Do you understand? He will not let you. And, uh, and, he'll, and he'll respond to, and his discipline is with love. Love. You understand? It's not with anger. It's with love. You know. A, a, a good parent, when disciplining a child, always sits down with them, tells them what they're doing wrong, disciplines them, and when he's done disciplining them, shows them that they love them. You know, you hug your kid. I love you, but discipline is going to happen because I love you. And that's where, you know, this love comes from God. Now, I'm sure as he was going through this, he's remembering the victories that God has given him. Did he, did, did he remember how God protected him against Goliath? Did he remember what God did for him when he was in the field and the lions and the bears came? Did, was he, does he remember the time when Saul was about to kill him and had him cornered and God led him away and escaped? Did he remember those times? And I would say to you that when you are discouraged and you need to encourage yourself in the Lord, that you remember the times. You forget those times when you're discouraged. You forget what God has done. You forget how God has protected you or brought you through. You forget those things. And now is the time to remember those things. And David now is recalling, but most of all, he's remembering who God is. He's remembering his God. So the Bible says he encourages himself in the Lord. And that's really all it gives us. But we know from other portions of scripture what David would do to encourage himself in the Lord because so many options. And then the scripture says, then, look at verse seven, then, say it with me, then, then, that, that means this. He's already encouraged himself in the Lord, right? The then means that he's, this is something else. I, that this is beyond encouraging himself because as a result of him encouraging himself in the Lord, then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech, son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. Now, what is the ephod? I mean, how does the ephod speak? How does God speak through the ephod? The answer, I don't know. I don't know. No one knows. We really don't know how God, how the ephod was used. And I think that's intentional. I think we're not supposed to know. 
What we do know is how to hear from God. And God teaches us to hear from him. We have the Holy Spirit now in our lives. We have something better. The Holy Spirit is with us always. We don't have to call for someone to bring an ephod to us. We can hear from God, and God speaks to our hearts. And God speaks to us, well, how does God speak to us? Well, he speaks to us by the Holy Spirit's still small voice, but he also speaks to us through his word. We, we have the written word of God to us. And that we can encourage ourselves in the Lord. Listen, when you're discouraged, go to the Psalms. You know, go to the Gospels. Look at the life of Jesus and what he's done. Go to those who have, are in the same place. Take time and get in God's word. Let God's word feed you and encourage you and strengthen you. I hear people, I've heard people say this too many times over the years. Like, I, I've, I've pursued someone who had, you know, they haven't been in church in a while. And I'll say, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? No, I've been going through, and they give me the, the story. And, and, and I mean, sometimes it's genuinely horrible what they've been going through. But then, then, I, I, then, I'm, then I ask, I want to, I want to, but, but, okay, but why haven't you been at church? Well, I've been going through, I, I don't want to press this, but like, isn't that the place you would want to be most at when you're going through difficult times? Don't you want to be around the people who can understand and know how to talk to God and how to encourage you? Don't you want to press in even more to the Lord? Don't you find that the only answer for you is God and hit the people of God in your life? David has isolated himself from his people. He's got his small army, but he's isolated himself from his people. And there are so many who have done that. I've seen in discouraging times, more and more people. There, you know that there's still people that have not come back after COVID to church? Now, I, I don't know how to, I, I don't even think about how, how they're processing. But I can tell you one thing, fear, they've made decisions out of fear. And that decision is going the opposite. Now, I understand staying away during that time when we didn't know what was going on. But I found that some of these people just, they do fine going to Walmart. They just don't do fine going to church. There's something, there's something that is not spirit-led when we start to isolate ourselves, you see. David, the Bible says, so verse 8, so David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Now, his family has just been taken. His kids have been taken, right? His wife's been taken. All these, and who needs to ask God if you should go after your kids? No one, right? I mean, that seems like what a waste of time. But David has actually learned something. You see, God's still in the training business. David has actually learned something. You know, I didn't ask God about going to be with the Philistines. 
I'm going to ask God, should I pursue this? And God says, of course you should. <laughs> Go get them. <laughs> you see? And, and God, God, so God is telling him, I'm gonna, you, you're going you're, you're gonna to be fine, David. This is good. You make, you're making the right decision. But David sought, and this is the first point here, David sought to hear from God. Now, because it's the first point, many of you are going, oh boy, this is going to be long. I'm moving really quick at the end here. So, <laughs> and, and, and he answered him, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So God tells him what's going to happen. And, and uh, if he'll believe God this time, he'll do well. So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, and he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. So these are men, and maybe there's some of the older men, we don't know, but there are some who didn't have the capacity to go on. They went as far as they could, and they would probably have been just as passionate about trying to find, but they've been going, to, I mean, they've been traveling now. You know, they're doing a 24-hour straight run. Some of these, they're, 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 they're at a high pace because they have to catch you know, their, their fam- where their family is, and they've been taking their probably at least three days ahead, maybe even more. So they've got to go without stopping. And so some of them just were too exhausted even to get up, and they had to stay behind. And, uh, and it says, so, so, the, the, um, so here we see um, David lets them stay behind. He doesn't ridicule them. He doesn't do any of that. Okay, you need to stay behind, stay behind. So what was David doing? David has opened his heart to mercy. Now we're going to see more of that in in just a couple verses. Um, But he opens his heart to mercy. This is David, the warrior. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate and they let him drink water and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. What? Aren't you like in a hurry and you find this guy kind of, and they don't know who this guy is. There's no indication they've got any idea who he is. We just, they just come across this guy who's an Egyptian and he is hungry obviously I mean he's really exhausted and it says his strength came back for he had eaten no bread nor drink water for three days and three nights and David said to him to whom do you belong and where are you from and he said I am a young man from Egypt a servant of an Amalekite and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick he made an invasion on the southern area of the Cherethites and the territory which belonged to Judah and the south area of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. I mean, at that point, don't you behead this guy? I mean, this is your this this guy burned down your 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 town and took and he was part of it, even though he was a servant. He was a part of the marauders who captured his family. I want you to see what David does. David must have recognized this was a divine appointment. This is a, this is a miracle that's happening. I, I don't know if David would have recognized that maybe before, but he do, it does now. This is a divine appointment. Folks, God gives us divine appointments. I, I think God's always given us divine appointments. There's always ways, if our eyes are open, we see God doing things ahead of time. 
And we'll see how God put people in our lives at strange places. And they're there for a reason. And God has a purpose. And this is the divine appointment for David. Keep your eyes open. And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this troop. So this guy's kind of smart. He's, and, uh, and then this, the, the second miracle happens. The enemy was totally oblivious to them chasing them. Look what it says in verse 16. It says, and when they had brought him down, there they were spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything, which they had taken from them. And David recovered all. That's the third miracle. They didn't lose a thing. No loss of life. No, everything was recovered. But then there was something else that happened, a fourth miracle. It says, and David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other uh, livestock and said, this is David's spoil. So David got a spoil. He got not only what he, he, what he had lost, but now he got more than what he lost. When he went after it, he wasn't going after for more. He just wanted what he had lost. But God gave him more. And he was able to use that more. He came back and he sent it to the leaders of all the towns that they you were accustomed to visiting so that when they went, would go back wherever those places they would kind of go and hide from Saul, those, print, those leaders, they had get, received stuff from, from David. So they now would protect David and, and care for David. David was a wise man. He was willing to give. But there was a, a, an argument when they came back. And the scripture says that as they were coming back, the 400 men that went to war, they came back to the 200 who had stayed behind. And, the, and there were a couple, the Bible says these guys were, were evil guys. There was a small group in the group that says, we're, we're going to give them their wives and their kids back, but they don't get anything else back because they didn't fight with us. And David was adamant about the fact, no, they didn't go with us, but they did their part. And we all get the same amount. That reminds me of Jesus' story about the, the, the workers in the field, remember? That some, they, they started and they worked 11 hours. There are others that worked just an hour. And the Lord gave them the same amount. Those who worked more complained. And they were judging the one who was giving the gift. And that is the way God operates. Listen, we might come at different points and some of us might have more gifts and, and than others and are able to do more for the kingdom than others. But let me tell you, God honors us based upon what we're, our hearts are willing to give. And they gave what they could and they were honored with that. And that's, that David made it a law from that point on. So I, I have a word for you. I have a word for some of you. 
is want to close with. Some of you have a lot of things that have been lost. They've been taken. You've walked through life and some of it has to do with relationships and some of it has to do with resources and some of it has to do with health. For the believer, for the follower of Jesus, he restores everything. Either in this world or the world to come, we're all getting it all back and more. Not just what we've lost, but more. Some of you are about to get things back that you've lost in the last few years. And it's coming back to you. Some of you have children that they've been wayward and they've been lost and God is bringing it back. I just want you to hear this word. I believe God is doing something. I believe I, I, I took, went to this portion of scripture and God enlightened me on it for this purpose. The teaching is part, but it's not the thing. Right now, I believe God wants a place in your heart. Listen to the Holy Spirit, because I believe right now God the, God the Holy Spirit is speaking in some of, some of your hearts and saying, that's you. That's you. I'm restoring. You go to battle. You're going to get it all back. None of it is going to be lost. All of it's going to be restored. Getting more than what you gave. Getting more than what was taken. And what the locust has eaten, God has said, I'm bringing it back in abundance. In abundance for you. Receive it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. For others, you know, maybe there's not such a loss, but you need to be encouraged in the Lord. And you can find, listen, there's no one that can encourage you more than, oh, the love of Jesus, the lover of your soul. He can encourage you today. You can find strength in him. I'm going to ask you to stand. Worship him. Will you come? Prayer teams, if you will come down. For anyone who just wants prayer this morning, if you would like to pray, no matter what the prayer is about, it doesn't have to be about what we talked about. It's good to have a brother or sister be able to agree with you in prayer. And so I want to encourage you, if, you've, if you have a need, as we just close in worship, would you just step out, come down, and let somebody pray over you. Encourage you in Jesus' name. Okay.
worship. If